Now, have you ever played hide-and-go-seek? Yes, I have. Yes, thank you. Wes has. Yep, Wes and I will carry on this conversation. Y'all just listen in. Um, what is the purpose of hide-and-go-seek, Wes? To not be found. But if your children are playing, what do they want to do? To be found. Hide-and-go-seek is no fun. My kids used to love to play this. Dude, wore me out. Every night, come on, Daddy, let's play hide-and-go-seek. Let's go play hide-and-go-seek. I'd be watching SportsCenter, something really important. And they say, let's play hide-and-go-seek. And I'd say, okay, you go hide. And then I hear this muffled voice. Daddy! I'm, I'm into whatever's going on TV. Daddy, come find me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, there's one time, it was like 10 minutes. And it had to be Rachel, because neither of the other two could keep quiet for that long. It was like 10 minutes. Janie's in there cooking dinner, and she said, you're going to go find her? Oh, I forgot. I forgot. It's no fun if you don't go seek the person who's hiding. It's no fun for the person hiding. They, that gets old. Well, there's a premise that applies to this movie that also applies to your life. And here it is. It's, it's deep. Are you ready? This, this is like huge. You won't find what you don't seek. That's good, isn't it? We can go home. We're done. Woohoo! Yeah, let's go. Yeah, you, lock the doors. Lock the doors. You won't find what you won't seek. Now, in the movie, uh, Benjamin Franklin Gates is looking for the greatest treasure of all time, and he believes that the map is on the back of uh, the Declaration of Independence. But he's trying to convince everybody that this map exists and it's invisible. And you know, just imagine if you're having to go and try to convince people. Watch this and see what happens. so hard to believe that someone's going to try to steal the Declaration of Independence. The FBI gets 10,000 tips a week. They're not going to worry about something they're sure is safe. But anyone that can do anything is going to think we're crazy. But anyone crazy enough to believe us isn't going to want to help. We don't need someone crazy, but one step short of crazy, what do you get? Obsessed. Passionate. Dr. Chase can see you now, Mr. Brown. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Family name doesn't get a lot of respect in the academic community. Huh, being kept down by the man. Very cute man. Thank you. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi. Abigail Chase. Paul Brown. Nice to meet you. Bill. Nice to meet you, Bill. How may I help you? Well, your accent. Pennsylvania Dutch? Saxony German. Oh. You're not American? Oh, I am an American. I just wasn't born here. Please don't touch that. Sorry. A neat collection. George Washington's campaign buttons. You're missing the uh, 1789 inaugural, though. I found one once. That's very fortunate for you. Now, you told my assistant that this was an urgent matter? Ah, yes, ma'am. Well, I'm going to get straight to the point. Someone's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. It's true. I think I'd better put you gentlemen in touch with the FBI. Well, we've been to the FBI. And? They assured us that the Declaration cannot possibly be stolen. They're right. My friend and I are less certain. However, if we were given the privilege of examining the document, we would be able to tell you for certain if it were actually in any danger. What do you think you're going to find? We believe that there's an encryption 
on the back. An encryption like a code? Yes, ma'am. Of what? A cartograph. A map? Yes, ma'am. A map of what? The location of, <clears throat> of hidden items of historic and intrinsic value. A treasure map? That's where we lost the FBI. You're treasure hunters, aren't you? We're more like treasure protectors. Mr. Brown, I have personally seen the back of the Declaration of Independence, and I promise you the only thing there is a notation that reads, Original Declaration of Independence, Independence dated, dated 4 July 1776. Yes, ma'am. no map. It's invisible. Oh, right. And that's where we lost the Department of Homeland Security. What led you to assume there's this invisible map? We found an engraving on the stem of a 200-year-old pipe. Owned by Freemasons. May I see the pipe? We don't have it. Did Bigfoot take it? It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. You know, that really is a nice collection. Must have taken you a long time to hunt down all that history. Best line in that clip was, um, she says, you're treasure hunters, aren't you? And he says, more like treasure protectors. And what I want today is to remind you that if you are alive and breathing, anybody fit that? I'm not sure because, you know, we weren't very active during during the singing and you haven't been talking to me so who's alive and breathing let me just check Wes I know Wes is yeah um, if you're alive and breathing you have a treasure beyond compare the problem is we've forgotten that we have this treasure and I want to remind you of that today now if you are a treasure protector God has called all of us to be a, pre a treasure protector you have to realize that we have an enemy. And I want you to see the words of Jesus because too many people do not take seriously enough this, this warning that there is someone trying to steal our treasure. Dr. Chase didn't believe it until after it was stolen. The FBI didn't even take out a, didn't even open up a file until after it was stolen. We do the same thing spiritually as we know we hear these warnings, but we don't realize that there's an enemy that wants to destroy our lives until it's too late. Look what Jesus had to say about it. John 10, 10. A thief is only th uh, there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus is talking to a group of people here, and he's been contrasting himself with the thief. The thief is his enemy, so by extension, the thief is the enemy of ours if we are followers of Christ. And he says, he's telling them there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, Jesus said. I am it. The people who hear my voice and respond to my voice, they get to go to heaven. But he says, not only that, you may have heard this in a different translation. The different translation is, I came that they might have life more abundantly. This says uh, a better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus isn't just talking about heaven because if the only goal for a Christian, for, if the only goal for a person was to become a Christian. As soon as you became a Christian, God would immediately transport you to heaven. The reason He leaves us behind is because He wants us to tell more people about the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ. 
But we have this enemy, and the enemy has a job description, and Jesus explains what that is. The only guarantee that you're going to get this good life now, and, and I, by the way, when I say good life, I'm not talking about you don't have problems, you don't have pain. We talked about that last week. You are guaranteed to have pain and suffering and trials and temptations if you're a Christian. You're guaranteed to have that if you're not a Christian. What's the difference? Jesus Christ walks with the Christian and promises to redeem your pain. He promises to give you endurance. He promises to make you stronger, to look more like Christ. You don't get those promises if you're not a follower of Christ. Now, the enemy wants to do something, and Jesus explains that his job description is to steal what? He wants to steal our treasure. I'm going to tell you about the treasure in just a minute. He wants to kill the joy that's related to that treasure, and he wants to destroy um, our lives, the relationships that go along with that treasure. All right, so you've got to realize that there is an enemy. Ben Gates realizes there's an enemy who wants to, to steal not only the Declaration of Independence. That's a big deal to him because he's this history buff. The bigger deal to him, though, is what's on the back of the Declaration of Independence. It's this treasure map. If you've seen the movie, you know what's going on. So Ben Gates has a decision to make. Nobody will take him seriously. He's got to decide what he's going to do about this enemy. Watch what he does. If it's any consolation, you had me convinced... Not. I was thinking, what if we go public, plaster the story all over the internet? It's not like we have our reputations to worry about. Although, I don't think that's exactly going to scare Ian away. 180 years of searching, I'm three feet away. Of all the ideas that became the United States, there's a line here that's at the heart of all the others. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. People don't talk that way anymore. Beautiful. Huh. No idea what you said. It means if there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. I'm going to steal it. <clears throat> what? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> uh, Ben? So do you get it? He said you can boil all of this Declaration of Independence down to one line. And what he said was, you know, because Riley is kind of like me. I have no idea. Usurpations and all of this stuff. He said, I have no idea what you said. Ben says, it means if there is something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. Well, I've got news for Ben. Even before the Declaration of Independence was written, the Bible says it this way in James 4.17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now, I'm not talking about stealing the Declaration of Independence. It's a sin to know that you have a treasure and not protect that treasure. Um, it's a sin to forget your treasure and not to go seeking it. And amazingly, the Bible has some instructions about how to find this treasure. Matthew 7, 7, 8. Jesus, again, is talking. He says, Ask, and God will give to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will open for you. Yes, everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who searches will find. And everyone who knocks will have the door open. 
All right, you ready? I've got three things that I think we neglect in the United States. Three things we take for granted that are our treasure. Ready for the first one? We need to rediscover our family as our treasure. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time, and and really, I'm going to hit the guys probably harder than than I do the the ladies. Um, Just can't help it, guys, so just get ready. Just curl up your toes if you don't want your toes stepped on. When is the last time your family felt like they were treasure in your eyes? When was the last time your family felt honored and valued? Not that you said the words, not that you even wrote the words that I love you, I value you. No, that they said, I feel valuable in your eyes. I can tell you probably the last time it was. It's when they felt understood by you. Not that you said you understood because what do we do? You know, they'll tell us their problem and we immediately go into fix-it mode. Well, here's what you need to do. That's not most of the time what our wives want. In fact, I have to get clarification from Janie. She'll come in, she'll tell me a problem, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, no, because I'm a fixer. I mean, she'll say, this is the problem, and I'll say, here's what... So in 17 years, I've learned, and I just, I just sit there. I don't say anything until she says... Because sometimes she just wants to vent. And I'm just like, go ahead and vent, baby, go ahead and vent. And it has nothing to do with those commercials, you know, let's vent. Um, She'll say, I need to vent, and she's just talking. And and my job is just to, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I I, I understand what you're saying. Yes, we're connecting, our hearts are connecting, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there are times when she'll say, what should I do? And And I'm like, you want me to tell you what to do? Because in my mind, I've already there's like six steps. You can fix this problem in six easy steps. If you just follow these steps, you would... But, but I can't say that because I don't know what the rules are. But when I understand her is when I listen. And then, dude, it's the sweetest thing when she goes, Tell me what to do! And I'm like, yes! Here's what you do. Because I've been holding this in. When she feels understood is when she feels valued. When I talk to her in a way that she doesn't feel understood, she does not feel valued. Ask her about it. The situation happened last night where I, I unintentionally made her feel not valued. She did not feel understood, and it did not connect us. Now, I want you to look at the Bible and what it says about understanding each other. This is directed specifically to husbands, specifically to men. But I, want to, I don't think we're stretching it when I say you can apply this to any relationship. Dads, this can apply to you and your children. It can apply to the workplace. Um, moms, it can, it can apply to you as well. Look what it says. You husbands must give honor to your wives. And we could spend a whole time just on that. But here's what I want you to see. Treat her with understanding as you live with her. There's that word, understanding. God wants us to learn to understand the treasure that we have. She may be weaker than you are. Now, this is a general principle. There are some women who are stronger than some men. There are some women married to some men who are stronger than some men. But the general overall principle here has nothing to do with intellectual weakness. It has nothing to do with emotional weakness. We're talking the general principle is most of the time dudes are stronger than women. That just, just most of the time, that's true. My job at home most of the time is to open stuff. I don't go in the kitchen because she has a strength there. I, the only thing I get to do is grill. So anytime there's grill, that's my expertise. But everything else, I, I'm limited to opening jars. So he's saying generally women are physically weaker. But look what the Bible says. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. So as a Christian, you are equal. God does not see the distinction between male and female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. 
God sees human beings created in His image, and we're supposed to understand them. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. If you don't treat her as you should, look at this, your prayers will not be heard. You might as well not even bother praying if you're not listening to and understanding your spouse and your children the way you should. It cuts off your prayers from God. That's pretty serious. So I want you to think back the last time you had an argument with someone. Did you treat them like treasure? Would they have said, Hmm, Wes values me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> would they have said, James values me. Amanda, would they have called your name and said, Man, that's the way I want, to be, I want to be treated when someone has a disagreement with me. That's what it means to live with them in an understanding way. But if we did treat people like treasure, if we spent time valuing them before we even talked about the issue, and then after we talk about the issue, we spend time valuing them, how would that make our lives look different if we treat them like treasure? Now, ladies, I, I know you're going, understand my husband, he's got a one-track mind, for goodness sake. And guys are going, dude, quantum physics is easier than understanding a woman. Right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, some of you are afraid to say that because you're going to have some lack of understanding this afternoon. <laughs> now, I want you to realize that, that when I value you, is when I do everything I can to understand your position. I try to see from your perspective, and I try to make you feel valued. Um, in fact, there was a, there was a dad that, that had a son who liked hockey. This, this kind of explains the idea of valuing someone. The dad did not like sports and sure didn't like hockey. He spent an entire season one year taking his son to as many hockey games as he could. And his friend asked him, he goes, do you like hockey that much? And he goes, no but I like my son that much. I've started trying to date my family on a regular basis because, you know, during this whole um, building project, I, I was way out of balance, so I'm trying to swing back into balance. And so yesterday it was Hannah's turn to go on a date. And so Hannah and I, I asked her what she wanted to do, and she wanted to go get a snow cone. So we drive out to Westwood. We like that snow cone stand out there in Westwood, and we get our snow cones. And I needed to go to um, Walmart just to get a quick thing for today. And so I said, hey, you want to go to Walmart with me? And she goes, sure. So we get to Walmart, and I said to Hannah, I said, is there anything you'd like to look at? Now, this is my eight-year-old daughter. She goes, mm, clothes. And I was like, mm, great. Specifically, so I said, I said, okay, okay, baby, let's go look at clothes. And uh, I said, which clothes do you want to look at? And she's, she's looking around. She goes, I think they're back there. And so we go walking back there, and we go through all of the little kids' stuff, you know, the little girls' stuff, until we got to... Hannah Montana. And there's like 8 million Hannah Montana things. And I think she was thinking Daddy was going to buy her something since we're on a date. I need to fix that before she dates some guy that every time, you know, you get bought something when you go. So we're, we're she, Daddy, isn't this cute? And this is cute? And this is cute? And this is cute? Look at this, Daddy. Oh, this is cute. This is cute. This is cute. Now, do I like shopping? Heavens, no. There is stick needles in my eye. I would rather have that than go shopping. But I like my daughter that much. And so we had this just this little daddy-daughter time, and probably sometime I'll buy her some of those Hannah Montana, because, you know, her name's Hannah anyway, and she's got these pants, and this is big H. Oh, now that I think about it, it's on the rear. We're not buying those, because I don't want anybody looking there. Um, but we'll get her something, 
that, that is Hannah Montana. Now, the reason you do that is because you like your child or you like your friend or you like your spouse. You try to treat them in an understanding way. Our, our actions, and, and this is where I struggle, because my personality type is, let's get stuff done. And, and sometimes I hurt people's feelings because I'm so focused on tasks that I forget about feelings. It happens with my family. Has it ever happened? Has it ever happened to you? Yeah. I get so focused on the task that, that poor Caleb, and I have to go back and I say, dude, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You're more important than this. But I didn't act like that. If I would act like that on the front side instead of on the back side, maybe we would have a whole lot closer relationship, and maybe you struggle with that as well. The other person has to feel valued and understood. That's when they begin to feel treasured, and that's when our homes become more safe and secure from the enemy, when we treasure our family. There's a second treasure that I think we take for granted in the United States, and it's our faith. I think this is very closely related to the first one. What you really believe, and this goes again back to dads, what you believe, dad, is more caught than taught. It doesn't matter what you say. Your kids know what your highest priority is. And they know where God is on your list as well, simply by watching you. Now, in life, there's always people telling you what you can't do. Right? There are people, you can't do this, you can't do that. And actually, that's one of the major motivating factors of my life. When people tell me I couldn't do something, just out of pride, I try to show them that I can. And it's gotten me into a lot of trouble. And you've heard those stories. But I want you to watch what happens with Ben when somebody tells him, you can't do this. It's not only shouldn't be done, it's impossible. Watch what happens. This is huge. Prison. Huge. You are going to go to prison. You know that. Yeah, probably. Bother most people. Ian's going to try to steal it. And if he succeeds... He'll destroy the Declaration. Fact is, the only way to protect the Declaration is to steal it. It's upside down. I don't think there's a choice. Ben, for God's sakes, it's like stealing a national monument. It's like stealing him. It can't be done. None it shouldn't be done. It can't be done. Let me prove it to you. Okay, Ben, pay attention. I brought you to the Library of Congress. Why? Because it's the biggest library in the world. Over 20 million books, and they're all saying the same exact thing. Listen to Riley. What we have here, my friend, is an entire layout of the archives. Short builder's blueprints. You've got uh, construction orders, phone lines, water and sewage. It's all here. Now, when the declaration is on display, okay, it is surrounded by guards and video monitors and little families from Iowa and little kids on their eighth grade field trip. And beneath an inch of bulletproof glass is an army of sensors and heat monitors that will go off if someone gets too close with a high fever. Now, when it's not on display, it is lowered into a four-foot-thick concrete steel-plated vault that happens to be equipped with a electronic combination lock and biometric access denial systems. You know, Thomas Edison tried and failed nearly 2,000 times to develop the carbonized cotton thread filament for the incandescent light bulb. Edison? And when asked about it, he said, I didn't fail. I found out 2,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. But you only need to find one way. 
to make it work. The preservation room. Enjoy. Go ahead. Do you know what the preservation room is for? Delicious jams and jellies? No, that's where they clean, repair, and maintain all the documents and the storage housings when they're not on display or in the vault. Now, when the case needs work, they take it out of the vault, directly across the hall, and into the preservation room. The best time for us or Ian to steal it would be during the gala this weekend, when the guards are distracted by the VIPs upstairs. But we'll make our way to the preservation room, where there's much less security. Huh. Well... Ian, uh, preservation, the gala. This might be possible. It might. 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Now, unless I miss my guess, I'm, I'm willing to bet you have tried to do life on your own. It, at least 2,000 different ways, and all of that does is leads to frustration, leads to problems. But all you have to do is find out there is one way to do life. There's one way to do marriage. There's one way to do business, to raise children, and that's God's way. Um, spiritual growth is the process of replacing lies with truth. The enemy wants to put all of these lies in your head, and if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to begin replacing those lies with truth. Our ultimate source of truth is the Bible, and the reason our faith is so small in God is because our knowledge of the Bible is so small, and we ignore the Bible at our own peril. What, what we need to realize about spiritual growth is the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and makes us look like the Son of God. So if you aren't looking much like Jesus Christ, it's because you're doing life your own way and you're ignoring the instructions that God gives us in the Bible. And little post-its that go flying. Uh, Jesus said in John 6, 63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The word of God is unlike any other word in existence. When God spoke, the world was created. Just go back to Genesis. God spoke, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be dry land. There was dry land. God spoke and things happened. And Jesus comes and he says, My words are not these idle words. They are life to you. When we base our, our lives on the word of God, then we have a firm foundation. And the thing is, God's Word doesn't change. The world changes, but not God's Word. And so if you begin to base your life, your faith, on the Word of God, it will make a difference. Look what it says in Psalm 119.11. I treasure, there's that word again, I treasure your Word above all else. It keeps me from sinning against you. When I sin or when you sin, it's when we have directly neglected the Word of God. We have turned our back on the counsel of God's Word, and that's when we sin. It is natural to sin. It is supernatural not to sin. The only supernatural words that I know of come from God Himself, and they're contained within the pages of this book. You get supernatural power from the Word of God. Can you see, if that's true, if, if this is supernatural, and if studying it gives me, if treasuring God's Word in my heart gives me the power not to sin, can you see why Satan would want to attack you and keep you from church, from small group, from studying God's Word? The power comes from there, not from your power. Satan's not afraid of you. He's smarter than you. He's more powerful than you. He's faster than you. The only thing that gives Satan uh, the quivers is when a person becomes a Christian. See, what he wants to do, he wants to keep as many people as possible from going to heaven. 
If he can't keep you from becoming a child of God, what he will try to do is make you in, an ineffective child of God. How does he do that? He puts all of these different pathways, possibly 2,000 different ways for you to do life out there. There's only one way that works. He knows that. He doesn't have to keep you away from that one way. All he's got to do is distract you so that you see another way that you think is better. Because really sin is an I problem. I want to do what I want to do. You want to do what you want to do. And we turn our backs on God. All he has to do is put out the options and he lets us go down the wrong path. And we suffer the consequences of those choices. Now what we generally do is we base our choices on these messed up authorities. See if you've ever done this. Sometimes we base our choices of what to do on culture. Everyone else is doing it. So it must be okay. Um, tradition. We've always done it that way. Reason. Well, it seems logical. Or emotion. It just felt right. If it feels so right, how can it be wrong? Every one of those authorities is messed up. And what you and I need is not a messed up authority. We need a perfect standard. The only perfect standard I know is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, Everything in the Scriptures is God's Word. All of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. There it is. Everything in the Scriptures helps you know how to do life. And so if you are not in the habit of asking, What does the Bible say whenever you have a major decision? then I, I'm willing to bet you're in the habit of going down the wrong path. One of the prayers that we have for our children over and over again is that they'll base their lives not even on what we think, but on what God thinks. And if you're not spending time in the Word, you don't know what God thinks. Thousands of ways to do life, and I bet you've tried most of them. And that doesn't work. So if you begin to treat your, life, your, your faith as a treasure, it will impact your life. And you'll spend a little bit more time in God's Word and with God's people. Now, there's a third treasure that we take for granted around here, and it has directly to do with what we celebrate this Friday, and that's our freedom. But I want to talk to you about a different kind of freedom, not just the fireworks-type freedom. There's a greater freedom that's offered to those who follow God, but in order to, to experience this freedom, you have to do something um, about your spiritual eyes. The Bible says that you are blinded spiritually until you come to Christ. You have to have your spiritual eyes open to see what God has for you. Well, notice how Ben finally gets his eyes opened in this movie. I found this. Some kind of ocular device. The vision to see the treasure past. Let me take this. Another, like, early American x-ray specs. Benjamin Franklin invented something like these. Uh, I think he invented these. So what do we do with them? We look through it. Here, help me. Uh, what? It's just that the last time this was here, it was being signed. Ben, there's another tour coming. Turn it over. <clears throat> Careful. Spectacles. <clears throat> oh. Oh. 
What is it? Is it a treasure map? It says here at the wall. Spelled with two E's. Take a look. Huh. Wow. Why can't they just say go to this place and here's the treasure, spend it wisely? Oh no. How'd they find us? Ian has nearly unlimited resources. And he's smart. I don't think we can get out of here without being spotted. Well, we don't want them to have the declaration or the glasses. But we especially don't want them to have them both together. So what do we do? We separate the lock from the key. We're splitting up. Good idea. Really? I'll take this. And those. You keep that. Meet me at the car and call me if you have any problems. Like if we get caught and killed? Yeah. That would be a big problem. Take care of her. I will. Now, we tend to live in 3D. Height, width, length. But the problem is there's a fourth dimension. It's the spiritual dimension that you will not get apart from God. The Bible says that, that the natural man, someone who does not have the Spirit of God, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. The only way, according to the Bible, to get the mind of Christ is to be one of his followers. And he gives you his mind. Um, I want you to see this, this quote. Um, th what I want to talk to you today about is surrender. You truly get freedom from surrender. Look what C.S. Lewis says. The more we let God take us over, the more we truly observe, uh, the more truly ourselves we become because He made us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself, give up myself to His personality that I first begin to have a pr real personality of my own. I just can't read. I need to go back to school. Uh, here's the deal. God created you, but you're not fully alive until you turn yourself over to Him. When you become free to become the person that, that God designed you to be is when you turn your life back over to Him. And He supernaturally, through the power of His Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of the followers of Jesus Christ. So He supernaturally changes you from the inside out. All the time people say, I can't come to Christ because I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I can't do it on my own. Newsflash, you can't do it on your own. It's supernatural. And as far as I can tell, none of us here have supernatural power apart from Jesus Christ. You want to be the person God wants you to be, you turn your life over. You surrender to Him. True victory comes from surrender. It frees you to become the person you were created to be. Look at Romans 6, 16-18 and see if this um, speaks to your situation. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. Victory comes through surrender. If you've tried drugs, you know that it is, it is a chain. It is bondage to get into drugs. If you've ever given in to alcohol, you know that it is bondage to give in to alcohol. If you've ever chased the pleasures of sin through sex, the pleasures of the flesh through sex, you know that, that, that having free sex does not free you, but it actually puts you into bondage. The only way to live the free life is to give your life to Christ and He frees you. It's, it's the paradox of the Christian life. Surrender doesn't weaken you, it strengthens you. And here's the deal. You will surrender to something. You will surrender to something. If you don't surrender to God, you'll surrender to the expectations of others, to money, to resentment, to fear, to your own pride, lusts, or ego. 
One man said it this way, if you don't surrender to Christ, you surrender to chaos. Surrender is not only the best way to live. Surrender is the only way to freedom. So I want you to remember this. Nothing under God's control can ever be out of control. Nothing under God's control can ever be out of control. So if your life is out of control, guess what? You're not under God's control. Maybe it's time to surrender to God so that you can experience this freedom. So the three freedoms we take for granted that I want to remind you of today is our family, treat our family like a treasure. Our faith, treat the Word of God like a treasure. And this freedom, realize that even though we have a freedom in the United States, it can be taken away at any time. But if you are free in Christ, even behind prison bars, you're the freest person on the planet.